Hey, Josh, uh, thank you for coming in today. You are one of the prominent key figures in the Korean startup ecosystem. For example, you're, you're behind the Korean Startup Forum, something called Come Up. And you're also the head of the uh, program, the Innovation Accelerator, that's part of this program called AI for Good, which is the largest AI sustainability solutions program in the world today. So we're going to explore all of that. So again, appreciate you coming in and sharing your insights with our audience. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And I'm, I'm very, very honored to be called as an important figure in the Korean startup ecosystem. And um, yeah, I'm playing a little bit of a role to help you know, the or the Korean ecosystem, especially the startup ecosystem, you know, grow in a collaboration with also global ecosystems. And then, yeah, I'm very, very happy to be here to explore more about what I'm doing and how actually we can help the innovators, you know, make the impact in the world through the startup ecosystem. Well, this is great. Now, uh, my audience is actually the two or three uh, top uh, viewers of what I do or follow my work are actually founders, CEOs, and co-founders. They're typically one, two, and three. And then um, usually board members are quite high up there. And then we also get professors, engineers, um, experts, and students. But it's always the, the these sort of CEOs and investors that tend to be really high uh, whenever I do these interviews. But they're always interested you have this amazing career. You're definitely having global impact. And they're interested, like, what are the two or three inflection points in your life that made Josh who you are today? And it could be something that happened when you were really young. It could have been a mentor, maybe something that happened in school or one of the jobs that you have. Right. Yeah, I'm really happy to talk about that thing. Um, firstly, well, uh, before uh, I moved to Geneva, uh, I worked in a, one of the internet service company in Korea, which was basically a local search engine. And then that time, well, I was really, really uh, you know, fascinated by the really changes, innovation that was driven by the tech companies. Even if I was not uh, a really technical, I didn't really have a technical background in my, my university. Mainly my job was some kind of strategy development or some kind of you know marketing thing. And then, the, but one thing I really was uh, so happy to see was that, but only 2000, you know, there was a big really changes in our society, actually to the internet, you know, boom was really going up. And then we just launched several really immature like the internet service, like internet community, email service and such engine. But even with that small, you know, a thing, and then we saw a lot of, lot of big changes in our society. So for example, we opened some kind of internet community, but that time even that and the smartphone was not there, you know, even just 2G, you know, mobile network was just available. But I mean, I just saw the potential of the internet and also other technology to make our world more democratic and so more engaging, you know, people to, you know, make the change in society. So that time I saw that kind of potential. I just thought that I just wanted to make the lever. I just wanted to, you know, leverage my experience at this tech company to help, you know, developing world, uh, you know, um, uh, to develop, you know, their social economic, you know, uh, situation. So uh, that time I just made a decision, okay, I wanted to go somewhere outside of Korea to bring some of the 
the experience and then you know uh, technology that I have witnessed in Korea and apply it to a certain other places, especially in emerging economies, so that I can really help people you know, more engage in their economy, you know, uh, to make the more economic growth and social development. So that was the moment that I really wanted to go outside of Korea, and I decided to study in Geneva and Switzerland. And then, so basically, I studied some kind of MBA, but more focused on some kind of nonprofit area. So basically, what I actually learned from the MBA at the University of Geneva was to was how to apply business practices into social economic development. And then I just realized that even the United Nations is doing something in that area, especially in the International Telecommunication Union, they had the pillar of a development sector. So they really wanted, so they actually were very active in, you know, the making the most use of the ICT in technology and social economic development sector. And then I just decided to do something there. So I got it luckily, I uh, found the uh, internship opportunity. And since then, I was luckily able to work in the, this really great organization for around 10 years. And then I was able to be engaged in the AI focus summit and then and the AI, you know, uh, and blockchain, a lot of really cutting edge technologies are really coming in that season. And then I just, uh, so that was the uh, really some kind of really, you know, breaking moment in my life to really change uh, my career and also or make myself be a person for now. So that was the first uh, step. Okay, so what I'm hearing is, is that you saw uh, in Korea the impact of the internet and the proliferation of the internet. And this is before smartphones were out there, but you, you could see that it was really transformational. So you started working for an internet company and you were able to see how uh, digital inclusion and, and digital uh, digitization could have an impact. That led you to think about social impact and through the use of technology, which led to uh, Geneva. And you happened to then uh, continue with uh, the United Nations and the International Telecommunications Union, which is the ITU, which is the oldest UN agency. They've been around for almost 160 years, and they're really focused on technology and enablement and social impact and, and uh, social empowerment uh, through the use of technology and technology standards. And, and from that, uh, you gained even a bigger appreciation of how uh, technology could help and empower and enable uh, people. And that's where you came across AI as well, because the, the ITU is the host, uh, founding host of the AI for Good Global Program, which you now is a global meme and it has some called the innovation factor and so on. So, so I can see this journey, uh, how you started off and how it's uh, been so impactful for you. So uh, let's kind of mind a little bit of that background. Uh, you, you, you're at the doorstep of ITU, you end up working with ITU and you actually end up working in their AI for Good program. Can you talk about the AI for Good program in more detail and then what you specifically do with them? Right. Um, yeah, well, while I, was, while I was working at the ITU and then I was so, uh, you know, impressed by the work of this organization, especially and some kind of really global impact in every country in terms of standardization, you know, some kind of, you know, radio frequency management and also some kind of development. But one thing I was always a little bit 
um, how can I say it? the one thing I was always looking for further was now how really we can really make the real impact, how really we can make all the people get together and then have a really practical discussion and how actually we can leverage everything that we have into one place and then actually make something further. Because there were a lot of, lot of interesting reports, a lot of, lot of interesting discussion, the conferences that we had through the work of the uh, you know, United Nations. But sometimes I realized, you know, who actually has reading this report actually, who is actually doing something based on this report. But AI focus was kind of really for the first time in my life in the ITU was a real practical debate and discussion and how actually we can actually make the leverage the ITU and then what we can see, what we have to achieve. It was a really action-oriented, you know, uh, program. So we are very much proud of actually doing these things also thanks to your really uh, uh, initial, you know, support and help to, to, to make this, you know, event happen. So basically that was a really great event because it was kind of really uh, first time ever experiences in my life at an ITU to really make the real impact. And it's pretty much different from other just traditional and you know, conventional in a way of uh, a way of uh, you know doing something from the other United Nations. Uh, so uh, so the, the AI for Good was kind of first time uh event where not just yeah like the you know, United Nations so like the public sector people are coming but also lots of lots of people people from you know private sector you know, companies and those AI experts work together and there's a really really beautiful collaboration between public and private sector and the company and the governments and the individuals and the academia so that was a really fantastic event so I saw at that time I uh, also, it would be very interesting to also engage really innovative startups to have a discussion on this platform because sometimes we have a lot of, a lot of high level discussion, but actually the lot of innovation also is coming from the startups. So actually, you know, the 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 you know practicing you know all those technology in their field. So so I think that was some kind of background on why we also. Uh, were able to create an innovation factor initiative under the pillar of AI for Good. So you talk about um, the AI for Good program, really quite uh, unique in that you've got governments interested in supporting it, you've got UN agencies supporting it, you've got private industry, corporations, and experts in AI, and associations associated with AI and NGOs. It's really very multi-stakeholder, very interdisciplinary coming together. And that makes it quite unique. And it's focused on practicality. In other words, yeah. what are solutions that can be used a, uh, in a good way uh, uh, using and uh, leveraging AI to enhance people's lives around the world? And in fact, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And then you mentioned, you know, you looked at this program, but you also have startups that are really... Yeah. Um, wanting to innovate and wanting to scale their AI globally and, and doing it in meaningful uh, run a meaningful solution. So can you talk a little bit more about the innovation factory? Like uh, if I'm a startup, how do I get engaged with the innovation factory? How is the innovation factory organized? Yeah. Um, so uh, basically the main purpose is to, you know, help, innovators who have a really practical technical solutions scale up their solutions globally and actually apply their solutions to 
the area where they really need that solution, right? So we basically try to bridge the, the gap between the solution giver and then the solution receiver. So uh, the innovation factory is uh, some kind of uh, you know bridging platform between the startups and then solution you know the, any 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 anyone who need that kind of solution. So basically, what we do is to have a really regular some kind of demo day type you know event where any startups with the really novel AI based solutions to make an impact from SDG perspective apply for this program, we have some kind of pre-screening process. Then we select four or five finalists at every each, you know, um, a session. And then we give them an opportunity to have a pitch on their solutions in front of the really, you know, top level investors and then top level, you know, accelerators and also UN uh, also AI experts and also into the just the general public from everywhere, especially during the COVID-19, even we are able to reach out to even the wider range of audience, you know, uh, thanks to this in you know, our online, you know, uh, uh, platform. Then, then the winner of each session also are will be invited to the grand finale of the uh, uh, the program every year. Then they got some kind of prize, but it's not just the kind of a prize focused competition. Rather, it's more like a really accelerating in a platform where the startups can benefit from being mentored by these advisors, you know, the investors, accelerators who will be very happily connect them to anyone in their network who need their solution to be applied. So basically, again, this platform is to help you know, startups to scale up their solutions. So, so if you are a startup, you can apply for this program anytime. And of course, we have sometimes a thematic session. So if your solution really fits with that specific theme, for example, environment or like a health or whatever, then you have a chance. And then if your solution is really well received and there'll be immense possibility of, uh, you know, that they're using your solutions in every places in the global market. So what I'm hearing from you, Josh, is let's say I'm a startup. I can go online to ITU, AI for Good, Innovation Factory. I can find the web page. There's a link there where I can fill out a form and say, hey, I want to apply. And then you have some kind of a, a screening process. And then uh, some of those who apply will then be invited to pitch at a session. It's a virtual session, which means that people online and also within the ITU can uh, manage this. And you have renowned judges uh, judging this uh, event. And out of that, the winners get amplification of their solution and the audience. Will, there'll be investors in the audience. There could be companies and others in the audience. And we'll say, hey, that's a really interesting application. We'd like to connect with that company. And of course, you act as a bridging platform between this event and then the investors or corporations and others who may want to use uh, the solution. What you're saying then is that out of the uh, out of those finalists, you have winners. And out of those winners, uh, let's say five get in, uh, invited to the grand finale. And the grand finale um, used to be online, but it's now a combination, I guess, online and in person. And it's at the AI for Good Summit, right? Yes. Where, and I think this year there was 25,000 attending either virtually or in person. Okay. So uh, over the entire summit. So that's a great venue. 
And of course, there's there's prizes and so on as well. So, um, so that sounds like a, a really uh, interesting program, and anybody in the world can just apply. And, and it's UN, so the UN is all about trying to empower others, right? And and do it in a, a equitable and inclusive way. Now, because you've done this for a while, um, I understand you what mentored and advised what. Um, over a hundred startups, I'll, I'll bet you, in, in how many countries? Um, well, actually the Innovation Factory was launched during the COVID. So basically, so thanks to COVID situation. <laughs> yeah, so we were able to actually have a lot of love application because if you're just focused on really physical event, maybe you could just have application from only like, you know, neighboring European countries whatsoever. So, uh, but with this kind of a limitation of actually physical, you know, movement, actually we are able to, you know, paradoxically, we are able to really have more, you know, uh, applications from, you know, really more diverse countries. So, yeah, we've got, uh, well, for two and a half, uh, we've got more than like you know, 300 applications from more than 50 countries. It was amazing. So we've got a lot of stuff from Africa, some even from emerging you know, so uh, on the, you know, privileged area. So it was great to see, you know, that there are a lot of, lot of, you know, really creative innovators, even from, you know, on the privileged area, developing country. That was a really great experience for me as well. Now, what if I'm a, um, a university and I think, you know what, I've got, um, you know, 200 startups um, incubating my university. Can they reach out to you and say, you know what, our university would do like to do an AI for good innovation factory session just with that university, or maybe it's a maybe it's another organization, a CEO organization, maybe it could be a, a science organization, it maybe it's also a city, or it could be a notable uh investor who is trying to help a particular region in the world. Can they reach out to you and say, you know what, can we collaborate with you and We'll bring the startups, and if they can go into the platform, do you allow that kind of capability? Yeah, basically we are fully flexible because I mean, the, again, our main purpose is to really find, identify the innovation uh, and innovative solutions, and then find any perfect location or perfect area that matches with their solutions. So we are very much open to any kind of collaboration. But again, as I said, this program was launched during the COVID situation. And then it was pretty much, you know, framed within this kind of really virtual thing. But now actually the, uh, the, the situation has been changing. So we are really thinking on how to also scale up this program in a, in, in order to make this program also can be very flexible, you know, with the different collaboration. So this is something that we are heavily working on, but again, it's definitely open, you know, possibility for anyone who wants to collaborate with the United Nations, especially the uh, ITU and another organization through this Innovation Factory platform. Yeah. So what I'm hearing then, Josh, is you've got an existing program. It's been out there for since 2017 and you run it all the time. You run these sessions, uh, Either, sometimes bi-monthly or several times yeah. a month and so on. So they're continually going. So you've got a community built out. You've got a platform already. You've got a method of sharing this globally. And somebody can say, hey, I just want to, I, 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 I'm um, a particular region in Africa and, and we have startups here and, they, and you've got an existing system they just can get into, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So basically if they really, 
trying to find some place where they really can scale up. And then I think this is a really ideal place because one of the strengths that United Nations have is that their counterpart is basically, you know, high level government, you know, that the government agency like and then so they also have the network with any places where they need so many different types of the solutions. And I think there are a bunch of like thousands of thousands of opportunities over there, but this part that they don't actually what's going on there. So if they actually join this platform, they have the window to see the whole different opportunities they were, have been looking for, but they had, didn't have a clue. So basically it has a really great potential, I believe. Yeah, and, and I know in your background, you've engaged in training and mentoring startups in countries like Azerbaijan, Senegal, Cambodia, and yeah. as part of the Korean government ODA program. Can you talk about the ODA program? Right. So um, actually, what, uh, South Korea is one of the most dynamic countries in terms of startup ecosystem, especially the government role is uh, very much critical. So the, the, the South Korean government stance is to is like, OK, so we make the stage and then they invite the players and then they give the money and then they help them to grow. So basically, that model has been working very much well. So and a lot of lot of also developing countries really wanted to apply that method to, you know, uh, boost, you know, startup ecosystem their area. And then traditionally OD, ODA program was pretty much focused on like, you know, building infrastructure, like the building schools, you know, building roads, you know, some more like, you know, really social infrastructure related project. But these days, interestingly, a lot of developing countries, they ask for some kind of startup related policy and startup related, you know, uh, the innovation boosting, you know, system, something like that. So uh, there have been a lot of, lot of requests for last few years from developing country through the uh, the international organization to South Korean government. And their most main, their main question is how we can actually boost entrepreneurship, you know, how we can actually boost innovative scale of their solution, how we can, you know, uh, make the really startup friendly in you know, a policy and regulations. And that they don't have a really, you know, uh, uh, good experience on that. So thanks to this kind of situation, the South Korean government, and then they created some kind of project and they invited several experts domestically and who can actually, of course, had to do some kind of global actions. And I was luckily invited to several projects. And that's why I was able to be engaged in several projects in Azerbaijan and Senegal and Cambodia. And so uh, what we have been doing is firstly to meet a really high level government officials from those countries and also a meeting with the uh, startup entrepreneurs from their area. And also we try to build how to uh, try to build the uh, really collaborative you know, uh, environment between you know, government and the private sector. And that was, uh, that was a very interesting also uh, experience, yeah. Now, I know you're the business strategy director of the Korean Startup Forum. So can you talk more about the Korean Startup Forum? What is it? What's its goal? How big is it? Uh, what kind of events do they hold? Uh, you know, uh, what is their purpose? Uh, where do you hope to shape it in the future? A lot of questions there. So just <laughs> yeah. kind of educate the world on what this is. <laughs> yeah, right. I think this kind of organization is very unique because I have hardly seen uh, uh, any similar organization in other countries. But I mean, I think it is a very 
interesting organization that can be also replicated in some other countries, especially where the startup ecosystem needs to be boosted. So actually South Korea has um, has kind of a 20 unicorns for now, but even six years ago, uh, there was just one unicorn, I think. And then even the unicorns now, they used to be some kind of just a small startup, even six years, seven years, right? And then their business model is pretty much disruptive in existing market, like FinTech and AI, some kind of, you know, their business models will pretty much you know, have a conflicting with the existing conventional system. However, their system was so innovative and there's so much you know, more you know, customer oriented rather than really, you know, um, the conventional, you know, the business model, which is sometimes have a lot of, a lot of limitations. But the problem was that even if they have a really great ideas and then because of a really strict regulations, they were not able to really deploy the business model. But I mean, it is not a question about just one company. So, so there were several you know, startup founders at that time. They wanted to make some kind of organization to make a collective voice on behalf of all the startup community. Because if you wanted to really transform regulation, uh, it's not possible for only one just company to do that. Rather, it, the, the overall community has to make the voice continuously again and again and then have the negotiation with the policymakers and an act of change. But that's some kind of unique situation in Korea. So more or less like the 50 startup founders, they decided to form Korea Startup Forum, which is basically a nonprofit organization, but basically work on behalf of the community. So they set up several pillars of work. The firstly, as I said, you know, um, the the uh, my organization is actually just some kind of advocacy on behalf of the startup community. So we we make a lot of voice to make you know the government help government to make the more startup friendly regulation policies. So that was the one major pillar of work. And after that, after the establishment of the uh, the Korea Startup Forum, the lot of lot of startup founders actually you know, join this forum. So we started as a 50, but within five years, uh, we have, we've got more than, you know, 2000 startup members, which means that there are more than 2000 you know, startup entrepreneurs as our member. So thanks to this, you know, community power, and then we definitely care about our members' interests. So of course, all the startup entrepreneurs, they also have to grow by themselves as well as entrepreneur. So for example, if you are a technical expert, it doesn't mean that you are also expert in all other business matters. So we do a lot of training workshops and also a lot of, you know, education, you know, program to help startup, you know, uh, 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 startup, uh, you know, to do their business better. And then also we do several other like, you know, the profit making activities, just like come up and some other startup events or some kind of other community activity. So these are the basic, you know, main three pillars of work. And this is some kind of short background of history of this organization and the role, uh, our role in the Korean uh, startup ecosystem. I see. So uh, I can see why you have the Korean Startup Forum. Uh, there's a bigger voice or clout you have if you work as a group rather than as single individual voices and and um, by creating this organization this forum and you have over 2100 startup members then when you talk to government about policy and regu regulations and support you can, you can do it as a community 
to initiate change, um, which will make it easier or more friendly for startup and innovators. Also, as you mentioned, uh, startup founders don't have expertise in any uh, all, every area. So you can you put on tutorials and workshops and so on to help guide them on their startup journey. And you act as a bridge to investors, mentors, and other stakeholders because it's a community. So I can see now uh, why you created this or this a Korea Startup Forum uh, was created. And I can see why you're the business strategy director uh, because you're going to be involved in all of those aspects, right? Uh, connecting with investors, mentors, stakeholders, working as a community, uh, as a voice to invoke and, and change. And also you have expertise that you can share around the world as well. Um, and you can help scale uh, startups in Korea by doing strategic partnerships with uh, different uh, communities around the world so that a Korean startup will then have an easier time entering into other markets, right? So Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. So tell us about Come Up. What is yeah. Come Up? <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, Come Up is a really good vehicle for us, as you said, to to bridge our members, but not just the members over in the startups in Korea uh, to you know, potential, their business potential partners and investors through this event. And also uh, it's just some kind of really business trade show type also event as well so that a lot of startups can actually you know, exhibit and present their solutions through the exhibition area. And also uh, there's also a lot of also pitching opportunity for them to uh, to 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 uh, to show off their solutions in front of a lot of lot of different type of audience. So basically, come up is um is a is the, actually the uh, one of the biggest startup events in Asian region, I would say. And then um so we. We actually uh, work together with the Ministry of Startups and SMEs, and we actually South Korea has a, you know, ministry dedicated to startups. So we, the, the, their name is the Ministry of Startups and SMEs, right? <laughs> startups of SMEs and as Ministry of SMEs and startups. So we work together with them. So uh, quite a lot of part actually funded by the government. As I said, South Korean government, they made a stage and then they give the money and then they, they you know, let the startups you know, play the game, right? So we, we've got a lot of actual support from the government to organize this event. And then, but all the contents are developed by us, right? So this is a really collaboration uh, between the government and then uh, the, the private sector. So the come up is a really kind of startup event, but um, it's more like, how can I say, it's more like kind of festival, you know, among the startup community. And so it's not just a simple competition, not just an exhibition, rather. It's a, some kind of big gathering of the older startup, you know, uh, community, not just from Korea, but also outside of Korea. And to share their knowledge and experience and then through the business matching platform, not just the uh, meeting between investors and startups because of some kind of financial, you know, necessary, rather. There was a lot of also interesting business matching between startups. So we've got a lot of interesting examples on uh, on how the startups actually work together with another startup and then build some kind of sometimes a joint venture, sometimes joint projects that they can actually make the synergy. Even there was some kind of M&A between the bigger startups and smaller startups. So that's something really actively, you know, making these days. So it's actually come up with a place where any startup community members get together and they get a lot of benefits from different side of the uh, a different you know, side of the other uh, benefits. So 
the business matching, as I said, the pitching competition and the pitching opportunity, and also the, the showing of their product and the meeting with people and having fun together, right? So uh, that's the uh, some kind of identity of come up. Okay, well, that's really, really interesting. So when is your next startup event? <laughs> um, it's quite close now, actually, 8 to 10 in November in Seoul. And then the, well, we've got also a lot of interest from outside of Korea, especially Saudi Arabia, then UAE, these kind of Middle East countries. Uh, they also like a lot of you know, startup <laughs> in that area. So they're coming also, the ministers are coming to see What's, what is really happening. So we will have also a lot of global audience this year. Well, that's really, really interesting. So um, it's in November and you, you've got these different country representatives uh, taking a look to see what you're doing. You indicated that it's a festival. So that kind of invokes joy, right? <laughs> so it'll be fun. Yeah. Yes, so every night, and then we have some kind of really, you know, startup type, you know, techno party, and then, you know, right. yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. And and you must be on local media, and so Korean television and and local media must cover your startup event, right? Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. Also, interestingly, there are a lot of us a celebrity, and also like you know, uh, who are actually uh, the founder of the sort of startups, and then also investing in some startups. So some of them are actually coming and then make a speech, and they they do some kind of performance. So definitely, we got a lot of attraction from media as well. Uh, do you have celebrities show up? Like, you know, you got some of those uh, <laughs> Koreans. Yeah, celebrities. yeah. Well, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's uh, one of the hottest actual hip hop singer in Korea. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, his name is Jill Park. And then I think, it, well, he can be some kind of global star soon. Thanks to Come Up, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> You've had so much uh, success with AI for good in these uh, robots. You got in, in Korea has robots. You're going to have some robots there. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, this year, I don't know, but actually last year we've got also very interesting like cleaning robots and then, yeah, some of those interesting robots to actually like barista robots and, you know, yeah. And because it's a global festival, then it really is a, a great opportunity for startups to collaborate together. As you mentioned, some of the larger startups may even do an M&A, a merger acquisition of smaller startups, yeah. or do joint ventures or investors from around the world can can collaborate and take a look at uh, the scene there. Um, sounds like a lot of fun. And you're the executive director. So. Yeah, well, doing a lot of jobs. So, yeah, I don't know actually how, how, how I can actually make it everything. So... <laughs> okay, so we know that you've got this great background, right? Yeah, starting many, many years ago um, with the internet and making sure there's digitization and search engine access and so on. And then you then you got into things like the uh, AI for Good, which is the largest uh, AI-powered SDG-driven solutions program in the world. And then there's an innovation factory where you can spotlight startups. And then you um, are involved as this um, business strategy director for the Korean Startup Forum, which is an amazing membership organization. And then you have this event called Come Up, which is this annual global startup festival where you're the executive director. So you really have your hands in a lot of stuff, right? And yeah. and you were the chief uh, communication officer for Icon Loop, which was Korea's number one blockchain enterprise. And of course, you were program lead for smart 
ABC for remember it, that, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's on AI banking and cities. That's what yeah, ABC right. stands for. Yeah. Uh, so you've got this really marvelous and broad and deep uh, technical and solutions, very practical background because you have the startup emphasis. And a lot of people don't realize because when they look at you on this video, they'll think, oh, that's like he's 22. <laughs> <laughs> and and <laughs> you know, because you're very youthful. So and I won't give you your age, but people would be shocked that you've been doing this for decades. So you've been doing it a long time. So you're really experienced. Yeah. Because you have so much experience dating from the 90s with the internet explosion and the AI explosion and blockchain explosion and all of these startups and so on. Let's now look at the future. I want to, <laughs> you look into your crystal ball. What do you think are the most exciting things that are happening in tech for good right now? Maybe two or three or four things that you think, you know what, people should be paying attention to this. Right. This is a really important question. It was quite, you know, uh, critical question, Spencer, right? Um, you know, if you look at the really, you know, the, uh, the the evolution of the global economy, I mean, yeah, if you look at really purchasing power of the people, basically middle class is at the really backbone for the old global economy currently, like, you know, the modern economy, right? But I mean, especially the majority of the middle classes come from the European market and the US and the Japan, maybe for now, there are actually more than 60% of something for now. But I mean, there, there are a lot of, lot of reports, but you don't necessarily have to look at the report, but you can see that actually that the trends now, right? So by 2030, even 2040, which is not very far from now, and then that structure will be totally changed. It's mostly the middle class, which has a really purchasing power, will be from the India, China, even Africa, so developing countries. So basically, there are a lot of lot of the business model solutions that were very much successful in the Western world, like in or any you know advanced countries. And then those those you know startup founders and also you know the, the business you know uh, owners. I think that they have to really look at the opportunities coming from all this emerging market. So basically, you know, their 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 needs and then their behavior and then their lifestyle has been really changed so fast. And then actually, the the market is not really following up with their you know needs. Of course, that's why I mean, they are basically looking for really current existing you know. A product and solution which is basically from you know just big companies from you know the, the big countries but now there are a lot of lot of opportunities i think especially for startups if you're they're really looking for an opportunity because of saturation in their existing market i mean if you look at you know those markets i think that the, the, the possibilities are really immense so uh, i already have witnessed quite a lot of really you know adventurous startup founders not just from uh, korea but also from some other countries who already started to do something in this market. Of course, it's not very easy to start a business in those every year for now, but I mean, in the long term, I think that is the really big thing that you have to think. So, uh, and as, if you look at the startup ecosystem itself, you know, in, in, in this, you know, uh, emerging economy, as I mentioned, it is, this area should be the place where you have to really pay attention to. Okay, so uh, we're going to mine this a little bit deeper. So let me let me kind of summarize what you said. You're saying that 
the really mature markets, the Western markets like North America, Japan, and so on, um, there's now going to be a shift towards India, for example, and Africa and Southeast Asia and Asia, maybe South America, and and that people need to pay attention to those areas because that's where startups are going to start coming from. Um, the big markets are in those regions as well, and they're growing. And there's even a demographic shift, right? Where the countries you mentioned, North America, um, China's actually in there, but uh, also Japan, they're, they're in aging markets, whereas uh, India is a youthful market, Africa's a youthful market. And so the youth is really the, the future of where startups and markets uh, can grow. So you're saying we should put some emphasis in anticipation yeah. of that shift happening. Did I get that right? Did I summarize what yeah, you were saying? Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay, now let's shift this to tech. Let's, right. what particular kinds of tech do you think we should be paying attention to right now? Um, I think that a lot of audience who are looking at uh, this interview will be much more uh, better in a technical expert than I am. But uh, I mean, I can humbly say, right, in texting, well, you know, of course, there are a lot of experts in the generative AI, like LMM. So I don't want to just mention about all this because it's a little <laughs> discussing outside. Yeah, but let, me, let me just interject, though. But you're mentioning that is something we should follow, right? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Generative AI is not something we say, oh, that's, we're not going to pay attention to that. You're saying that's a trend that we got to keep following, right? Right, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, uh, if you look at the, uh, but I mean, these technologies is really the technological trends, you know, the based on your question, is actually moving together with the uh, the where the money comes from, where the money goes. So if you look at the like really global like you know economic funds uh, and uh, where this money goes, and you will see the uh, what kind of technology we are actually looking for. So if you look at the venture capital, you know, uh, trends these days, basically because of economic downturn, the, the overall size of venture capital is really decreasing. That's for sure. But I mean, the area, especially related to sustainability, for example, environment, energy, and the climate, this area is the only area that has just more and more venture funds uh, compared to other areas. That means that we need to really break through technologies who can, which can actually make our, you know, the make the earth more sustainable and make the place we are living in a really sustainable and in the future. So uh, I think uh, for the next few years and a lot of, lot of, you know, uh, the uh, lot of, lot of you know, people from, especially from startup ecosystem, will be looking at the opportunity, especially in climate tech, environment, and energy related technology, because. Without sustainability or uh, uh, sustainability on the earth, what what is the meaning for the startup to survive, right? So basically, we need some kind of sustainable earth so that actually we can do the business. So I mean, but if you look at the really trends and then all the uh, the, the numbers, it's obviously it's, it's it's really obvious, yeah. So what you, what you're saying then is, you know, we, we see all of this um, challenge that uh, people around the world are having high temperatures. Uh, things like that. And you're saying that uh, things that will uh, help manage that, like climate tech, environmental tech, anything that will help in energy, new kinds of energy, energy, clean energy, um, that makes the world sustainable, longer lasting, without depleting and, and uh, creating problems to the world. You're, 
you're, you're, those are areas that will um, trend upwards because there's such a big need. I, that's what you're saying, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, as you indicated, you know, generative AI, which is part of large foundation models, are a lot of interest there, and and so you read about that every day. So that's a continuing trend. Uh, would you say quantum computing is a trend? Yeah, well, quantum computing is a really big thing. And then, well, I, I don't know whether uh, the quantum computing is really now at the level of a really mass adoption now. But I mean, at a certain point, if this is really available in our really hands, but I mean, that will totally change the, change the you know, crypto, uh, crypto thing, you know, also like, you know, all the security, you know, everything, right? So... Yeah, that's something that, but I think I still believe that, you know, this kind of sustainability related technology is a really priority for our future. Yeah. I get, uh, I can see that. And um, so you're saying that, you know, quantum computing right now is uh, something in the future. Um, it's still progressing. I'll just yeah. ask you for, uh, ask you about maybe two or three other kinds of tech, uh, supercomputing and exascale computers are already out there. And I can see Zeta scale. So um, exascale can do a billion, billion operations per second. Uh, Zeta scale will be a trillion billion, which means you can model, simulate new drugs, new energy sources, and so on. So do you think that's going to continue to be a, a factor, especially at the country level? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, yeah. Well, I, ha I haven't looked at uh, all that issues in more details, but yeah, I generally agree with you. And then also, yeah, it, it should continue in the uh, country level. And also, again, coming back to the issues about other technology like quantum computing and AI or something. But I mean, all these technologies also will be also uh, used uh, for like in you know, a climate, you know, also environment tech as well. So basically, uh, I think the environment tech or like climate tech, energy tech, it's not a really separate sector. Rather, it's a really cross-cutting thing, and the, whether you're using AI, quantum computing, whatever, but that should be focused on that kind of sustainability. And I think, and I would say, the money will go there. So, if you wanted to really use your technology for good and for money at the both, and basically, that, that is the area that you have to pay attention to. This is my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess I'll add, you know, there's new kinds of chip technology that consume less power, and they're more right. powerful. So that continues with sustainability. Um, there's uh, biomedical, biotechnology innovation. Um, so, for, for example, uh, meat substitutes, so you don't have to use animals, mm -hmm. which are, again, creates a more sustainable planet. I'm just kind of brainstorming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you were an early proponent of blockchain, generally. Uh, do you see a future for blockchain? I'm not talking about crypto now, which is always yeah. the first show. I'm talking about the underlying technology. Yeah. Uh, do you still see a future for the underlying blockchain kind of technology? Um, yeah, I have a really, you know, kind of both sides of, you know, feelings on blockchain. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, uh, well, I have a really totally two extremely sided people, you know, so one side of people have a totally, totally negative, you know, opinion, and they don't change their mind on blockchain. <laughs> and the other side is that they are really, really optimistic, you know, on the, the future of blockchain. <laughs> Change. So I really couldn't see really someone in the middle. They're so really divided into two things. So, 
Um, so I don't know, uh, to be honest, I mean, yeah, well, firstly, when I actually joined the blockchain every year and a couple of years ago, and then I really truly believed, you know, the, uh, the spread of, you know, uh, decentralization, you know, it's totally different mindset for me, like, wow, we don't need any central city and then we can do really fully democratic, you know, uh, structure in technology. So basically technology itself is decentralized. But I still think that our mindset is not yet decentralized. <laughs> so basically, the blockchain is not just about technology, it's more about also kind of philosophy, some kind of ethics and everything. So I think that's why still we are still struggling with the, uh, the best governance on the blockchain. If you just put some kind of private blockchain, okay, so you can always have a control. But I mean, some kind of really extreme blockchain insists as that they don't see private blockchain as a blockchain, you know? It's just <laughs> another type of, you know, decentralized system. So if you are really asking about really true, you know, blockchain technology itself, I believe, you know, we also have to transform our mindset more uh, radically, you know? Otherwise, I mean, still, you know, blockchain will be some kind of struggling. So it's really my personal, uh, uh, personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see uh, it's still on the tabletops of people, right? And or companies and things like that. It's, it's not as prominent. And um, but it's still there. And in fact, the metaverse was really prominent until uh, ChatGPT came out. Right? Yeah, right. That ChatGPT right. is kind of or GPT or uh, large foundation models, large uh, these large language models, large fusion models have kind of dominated the conversation. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also, well, interestingly, like in the blockchain uh, community, they were luckily able to meet the major issues for last few years. So, so firstly, what well, the blockchain, well, they were really. Uh, boom, the thanks to like a really boom of the crypto. And then people are a little kind of disappointed with crypto. And after that, well, there's some kind of the issue about like decentralized ID, some things. And then, the, oh, yeah, this is the area that we have to look at. And then after that, well, it was not very successful. And then like, you know, some metaverse, like, you know, or some, some other things. So, well, luckily in a blockchain community has always have some kind of uh, really issues that can actually, you know, bridge blockchain technology to the area. Uh, continually. However, uh, still we haven't seen, especially from the general public's view, we still haven't got really tangible, you know, uh, you know, product or service that were really embedded with the blockchain. So that's the really key issues that the blockchain community have to solve. How really can make the people feel okay, blockchain is there. So yeah, kind of still a long way to go, I believe. I mean, you still even on the metaverse. There's the metaverse standards forum. They're still progressing. They've got thousands of companies and organizations right. supporting it. Um, Web three right. is part of that. Uh, you had Apple release their Vision Pro or announce it uh, this year. So it it gives a picture where it's totally immersive and it's part of your everyday environment where everything looks really, really real. Um, when I saw that demo, I was thinking, gee, I could use that instead of these super monitors I have if I just wore this thing and, and I have a, a hundred inch screen, multiples of them around me, right, which I can interact with. I can see a utility and yeah. a, a usefulness, though it's expensive. So I guess the undercurrent of all of this is still continue. But but right now, what's consuming all the news is 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 uh, GPT-4 or BARD or, you know, Palm 2 or Llama 2 or 
Right, yeah. They, they would have just like a black hole, you know. <laughs> like, so. Uh, and this is maybe a bit of a philosophical question. Do you think we'll hit AGI, artificial general intelligence, where, mm. it, and I'm not saying it's human, just something different, but it's extremely powerful and as capable as capable as a human in some ways and maybe exceed our capabilities in others. And some will say that we already have that, but you believe in AGI will happen within two or three years? Um. Well, it's a really kind of $1 million question. <laughs> like whether you can predict whether it's available in two and three years, even, you know, you know the sort of, you know, Rakers were just kind of big shots and they sometimes have a wrong prediction. They have also all different predictions. So I'm not sure if I'm really positioned to have some kind of prediction on whether it's available in two, three years. But I believe, you know, you know, Everybody's just witnessed that how really ChatGPT come into the world so fast, right? So, and then it really make the all the development of AI much much faster compared to the uh, to the era that we had lived before the ChatGPT came out to the world. So, I mean, but I mean, I think it's just some kind of a question on how we can actually define the AGI. I mean, even ChatGPT can show a little bit of kind of sense of like an AGI, but I mean. Sometimes, but actually, that AI actually doesn't even actually truly understand what they're saying. You know what I mean, right? So basically, they come up with an idea, but actually, they don't have a really reasoning. So if you define AGI as a really intelligence that truly understand the why they are saying, I mean, that could be something really big, right? But I'm not sure. <laughs> Because whether it's really available in two, three years. But if you look, if you expect a certain more, you know, upgraded version of ChatGPTI, ChatGPT, and maybe in two, three years, we will see some intelligence who can perfectly behave and say just like a human, you know, because sometimes if you look at the result of ChatGPT, of course, there are a lot of problems associated with you know, hallucination, you know, some kind of really fake things. But Sometimes you were really impressed by the answers that they come up with just like a really human being. Sometimes they show irritation with the other questions, <laughs> right? So, yeah, so we will see, but yeah. I mean, do you use um, uh, uh, large language models in your work? Like, uh, do you use like BARD or GPT? Yeah, it's very or... useful. To be honest, they're really, really useful. So, <laughs> for example, what well, actually, you know, the uh, when I asked by you uh, to uh, send send you uh, some kind of my profile, my profile, some kind of short bio. And I just asked the ChatGPT and uh, tell me about Josh Choi from Come Up and Create Startup Forum. <laughs> and then he, <laughs> and he or she, <laughs> it came with, it has came with a pretty much well, you know, a structured sentence. Of course, there are some kind of a wrong, you know, thing that the wrong fact, but, fact, you know, but I mean, it, it was much better uh, then just asking my, you know, uh, colleague or secretary to write down my <laughs> it's much better quality. So, I mean, it was a really impressive result. So not just on that, but also when I do some kind of research, when I do uh, like uh, some kind of, even some kind of ideation on some kind of program of the event. And then if I really wanted to some kind of really summarize the trends, I mean, obviously they're really, really helpful. So, 
well, that's amazing. That's true, right? <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I use Bing AI and I compare it to uh, GPT-4 and I use the plus version, right? Where you can yeah. use the plugins and things like that. And I was thinking maybe I should try Bard as well. Uh, but I use Bing AI all the time. I mean, I'm probably mm. every day and I like the fact that you can talk to it. Uh, on your mobile, you could actually talk. Yeah, talk yeah, yeah. You. Right. Yeah. And I find it quite useful. Um, and that's why it's integrated into my work. And it's interesting, you know, Microsoft 365 has this co-pilot program. I think it's still in beta, but or it's a limited preview or or whatever, you know, like not everybody uh, can have access to it. But once right. that gets widely available and. Uh, I mean, I would use it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's a really question about yeah our expectation. You know. Um. So, for example, in a in a real world, there are a lot of lot of human experts in a specific area, right? So we expect some kind of expertise and knowledge from them, but I mean, we don't really expect some kind of truly neutrality true neutrality from a person. This is not possible, right? <laughs> but I mean, we sometimes have some kind of expectation on our artificial intelligence to be truly neutral. But I mean, it's obviously up to the uh, what kind of data, what kind of model that you actually put on. And so basically, I don't I don't know. I'm really not sure if we really if we really can make kind of a really neutral intelligence that give a really, you know, uh, really, you know, objective, uh, you know, uh, you know, the uh, opinions and you know you know the reasons so i mean so i think even artificial general intelligence meaning that you know so there will be a lot of lot of different type of agi who have a different thing like personality or like pregnancy <laughs> <laughs> right otherwise i know how we can make a really neutral thing because we are all different like you know, seven billion people are different they have different opinions and thoughts so i mean so that's why also a lot of people also in the AI for good have raised the concerns that you know the AI can be owned by really some really expert who have a, also their own personality, their own you know personal opinion, right? So how can you really make you know AI really neutralized? I mean, so it's it's a really question about what really exactly expect from you know the artificial gender intelligence. I mean. Yeah, I mean, they're very interesting chat, but <laughs> yeah, so I think that that's also another concept. Yeah. I guess that's the advantage of AI for Good, uh, hosted by the UN ITU, is that it's a cross sector conversation. It's multi stakeholder. You get all, you know, 40 plus UN agencies involved, all these corporations, governments are interested. You got people from many different uh, livelihoods. Uh, involved so you get a really broad spectrum of viewpoints right so yeah and then you're at the heart of it josh <laughs> so oh that's really honored but i mean also i feel some kind of a lot of uh some kind of really you know in positive sense some kind of stress you know <laughs> because and i always think that okay i have to do really well <laughs> i have to do really right and also, uh, I also have to learn more. And then, you know, as the more and more, you know, the expert I meet, and then I more the more and more I feel I'm still, you know, I still need to learn. So yeah, I'm I'm very honored to be the center of all this initiative. And then I'm very very I think I'm really really lucky 
to be able to work with the really great people, including you, Stephen. And so, yeah. And um... well, Josh, we're we're at the end of the interview, and I only have one more question. And the question yes. is, uh, what, <laughs> what what's your recommendations to the audience? <laughs> Uh, recommendation to the audience and then but the audience are mostly like you know some kind of really tech experts you know uh right um yeah the bulk <laughs> of the audience are have some kind of um tech technology background yeah for sure yeah well uh recommendation i don't know um i'm in a really position to make the recommendation to those people because i always admire all these you know tech people around the world you know it pre you know members <laughs> you know the you and ACM, they're really great people with really great minds and they're so super, super smart people. Um, just one thing, because I mean, the one thing I can just talk is just from my experience compared to those people. I mean, just basically my main focus is now where I can start, right? So, um, and still there are a lot of, lot of actually startups are really trying to trying to build really technical solutions, but they are not really truly technical expert compared to really kind of, you know, these members who are really working on the standard, you know, so they're trying to always find if there's any really technical fault or whatever, right? So basically they are the, how can I say, the mostly startup founders are the people who are really good at, you know, uh, applying, actually, you know, utilizing you know, those technology to solution. So I think uh, it would be still good, I believe, to collaborate more with the startups who are actually trying to, you know, utilize those technology to the area to need solutions. So, and then if you have a more and more conversation with those, you know, tech startups, and I think there will be really mutual, you know, benefits and synergies. So the, the those members can understand better uh, in, in terms of practicality, but also the startup founders and then, you know, entrepreneurs also have a better understand some kind of a technical expert. So I think would it be good to have more and more opportunities in place where, you know, you guys also meet with uh, startups and that'd be great. You know, you just triggered another question because you're in the startup space for so long and you think about startups and you and you mentor startups and you and you see founders. Um, if somebody's out there thinking of doing a startup, what what are maybe the top three, four, five attributes to make for a successful startup? Ooh. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So firstly, um, you know, um a found of Founding a startup is not an easy journey. Yeah. So sure. it's not an easy journey. Yeah. I, I used to do that in the blockchain area for um so because 95% of startups failed within three or five years. Uh, that's for sure, right? Uh so it's not easy. So if you're just thinking about okay, so maybe I can do some kind of startup, that's not enough stage for you in your mindset. <laughs> but if you think Oh my God, I'm so obsessed with a certain problem. And if you think that problem is not very well solved, and then you can jump in. So actually you should be a really professional complainer, what I say. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you really have to uh, be, you know, uh, uh, really, really obsessed with the problem. So, so you even cannot sleep without, you know, <laughs> 
really finding a solution, you know, for that kind of problem. So if you really think that you can become a really proficient problem solver, and that's the point that you can actually start the startup. That's the first thing you have to consider, right? So rather than just interested in doing something in your own business, you know, you really have to find the problem. That's the first thing. And the secondly, um, if you are if you feel like you know you are really obsessed with the problem, if you really want to solve that problem, and then you also have to ask whether other people also feel that problem is really big, just like you, right? Yeah. So, but if if it's not, but if it's only a kind of personal problem, <laughs> then there's no market, right? So you firstly have to prove that the problem you identify is really sizable. So that's a second question. And then if you pass this your own <laughs> magic process then you have to find the really good people so basically you know, it's, you know that having a startup is about you know the managing people and you really have to find the people who have the really same mindset with you and who have the same vision and then because again as we just discussed just before uh, you cannot do everything you know you can you can be a good founder but it doesn't mean that you can be a really good ceo so basically, really being a good founder and being a good CEO is very different. So you really have to find the you know, partners who can do well in operation, who can do well marketing, who can do well like strategy, who can do really, you know the operation everything. So, uh, so actually finding the right people to help solve that problem. So that's the third thing. So you ask the three things, right? So I just went to these three major or, things. Yeah, or it could be five. <laughs> <laughs> Because those, yeah. those are great, uh, you know, you said have a problem, make sure you're passionate about the problem, make sure that you want to drive for a solution of the problem. You said make sure that other people see the same problem and, yeah. and that uh, you can drive for a solution. You said find the right people because it's not just founding. you got to have the right skill sets that make for right. a successful startup and you can use like the... Uh, the business model canvas to get an idea of maybe some yeah. of the different attributes you need. And it could be, and just two or three people have all of those attributes, but you got to make sure that you cover all the bases to help. What are two, what are two more uh, uh, <laughs> things to have in a successful startup? Um, then um, if you are not a, English speaking person, or if you're living in a not non-English speaking area, uh, but you also have to take into account global expansion. You don't necessarily have to start right now, but you have to start thinking about global expansion at the beginning, right? So that's the that makes sometimes big difference you know, between the. Uh, uh, startups who already started with a you know, global mindset and the startups without without it. So I think that's the thing because especially in this kind of economic downturn and really fluctuation, you know, sometimes actually your domestic market actually, well, it's not enough for you to grow. And also, who knows, maybe some other places, they really need your solution, even if your solution is not very welcome in your domestic market, it's just more or less, just enough. But in some area, that solution is really something that have their big you know, pain points. And then there are several examples of these kind of things as well. So one of the one of the one of the really successful startups in South Korea and they exited and they actually uh they sell the company with like two billion US dollars, but they started with just, just so 
one million dollars something. But I mean, their business model is not very working well in the domestic market, but they are globally really welcome. So there is always kind of opportunity there. So yeah, fourth, they're thinking about the global expansion. And fifth, and um, this is really last result that I always ask to our startup founders. You basically start with your startup because you think that you really want to solve a problem and that you feel you'll be very happy when you solve the problem. So basically you start your business for your happiness. But at a certain point, you realize that where's my happiness? You just lose your own original mindset. And so if you feel like you, know, you are so just like, you know, really burnout and that there's no really meaning of your life or whatever, and just really typical and not this really in a critical uh, tipping point that you have to think about whether you have to continue this journey or not. Even if you just, you know, think that, okay, I just don't want to go more. It's not, it's not your failure, right? So, but sometimes a lot of the startup entrepreneurs are really concerned, they're really worried about failure. But I mean, there's no really, you know, failure exit. There's no really failure like m or whatever. So basically there's another way, right? So you have to think about it. So it's kind of really, you know, five steps until the end of your journey. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so uh, just to kind of summarize then, you, know, you have a real problem, make sure that that problem is shared. You're yeah. with uh, passionate people, have a great team that addresses all of the, the gaps, make sure it's scalable. So it's not just for your region, your town, but can scale yeah. in parts of the world. In fact, you may even have more success in different parts of the world, but you also have to have this grit. In other words, you got to right. be able to stomach the volatility and, and, exactly, yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, and stick with it um, and and persevere. And, and there's other steps as well. But, you know, Josh, uh, thank you for coming in and sharing your insights with our audience. <laughs> right. Thank you very much. I don't know whether I'm my, this interview is really helpful for the audience, but I'm really, really, I was, uh, I really enjoyed this event and uh, this, this interview. And I thank you very much, Stephen, for uh, leading this conversation very well. Thank you very much. Okay, and, and you continue with your great success. <laughs> Thank you very much. And also, we'll help you have too as well. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.